When I was growing up, I loved, uh, I loved Christmas. It was, it was an exciting time of year, but it um, also had kind of a negative aspect to it for me personally. Uh, at our church, my dad was the pastor, and my three brothers and I were all expected to be in the Christmas Eve children's program every year. I hated it. Uh, we were given songs to sing. We were given lines to recite, verses, poems, whatever it was, every year. Really, for the entire month of December, I think I just had this kind of fear. I was just scared. At the same time, I was real excited. I couldn't wait, though, till that program was done, because as soon as the program was done, we could enjoy a, a few things. First of all, every kid that participated in that Christmas program got a big box of candy afterwards. I mean, they were very generous. It was really almost worth doing the program for this box of candy. And it wasn't left over from, thanks, or, uh, from Halloween, I don't think. The other thing is that uh, after the, the service that evening, Christmas Eve, our parents always allowed us to open one Christmas present. And so I, I'd look past this, this event, this service, in order, to, in order to get that present and to get that candy. The worst occasion, though, for this Christmas Eve service occurred the first year that our family moved to the Chicago suburbs. It was going to be the first time that our family was going to be on display for the church, or at least that's what it felt like, like the herring share and show and tell type of thing. And, and that uh, Christmas Eve, we'd been given our lines to say, and there were four of us herring boys, and the first one began to speak, or at least he tried to. He opened his mouth, really nothing came out. He looked like a deer in the headlights type of thing. He just stood there. And, and fortunately, there was a Sunday school teacher seated right in the front for such an occasion, and she fed him his lines, and he parroted the lines. And then it was my next oldest brother. It was his turn to do his lines. He was the same. He just stood there. And so once again, the Sunday school teacher had to feed him his lines, and then it was me next, and I, I just knew what was going to happen, although I was a little bit ahead of the rest of them, because while they were fumbling around, I was thinking of my opening line, you know, something like today in the city of David, a child has been born or something. I had, I had the first part ready to go, and I thought maybe that would launch me into this thing, but I said my first part, and then I, I, I just went blank. And she had to feed me my lines, and I'm sure the same thing happened with my fourth. I thought, boy, that's like the four stooges there. Christmas Eve service, what a wonderful impression we made on this church. You know, it just wasn't uh, very good at all. In retrospect, though, I probably shouldn't have been afraid. I mean, it wasn't, first of all, a big deal. I don't think anybody cared that much, whether or not we got the lines right. But most important, there was someone there to help. You know, I believe that if I had really trusted in the fact that if I mess up the words, she's going to give me the lines and it'll all be okay, I don't think I would have forgotten the lines. But when I thought it all rested on me, I think that's when the problem came in. It was okay for her to feed us these lines. Now, all of us need help sometimes. We all need sometimes someone to come along and just help us along. Of all the names that are given to Jesus at the birth of Jesus, the one that I love the most is Emmanuel. He will be called Emmanuel. It means God with us. I just need to know that God is with us. Now, this series we're beginning today is called BC. Normally, it stands for Before Christ. These days, um, 
They've tried to remove Christ out of it, so it's BCE. It's before the common era now. I don't know what they do about the AD, which is Anna Domini, the year of our Lord. I'm not sure if the AD has been changed yet or not. But this series is really about Christmas before Christmas. We're going to look at the Christmas story each of these weeks, and we're going to find a prophecy that came from the Old Testament. And what I want to do is tell the New Testament story, then I want to talk about the prophecy and the story from the Old Testament, and then apply it to our lives. Ask, why does it matter to us, this particular prophecy? And today's prophecy centers around an angel quoting from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament that a child would be born, his name would be Jesus, he would be called Emmanuel, it means God with us. Now, my main takeaway here today is this, we don't need to be afraid because God is with us. And the the idea or the theme of fear shows up in both of the stories we're going to look at, the New Testament one and the Old Testament story, and you interject Emmanuel in the midst of that, that's how you get this takeaway. We don't have to be afraid. God is with us. With that introduction in mind, let's begin reading the story that's found in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. So Matthew 1, 18, it's the start of this story. We read, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her Secretly. Now, let me stop for a moment and explain something here. The verse indicated, the first verse that I read indicated they were engaged, and then he's talking about divorcing her. What well, was different in biblical times? In biblical times, you would sign an actual contract agreeing to marry this person in the future, usually within a year, and that was a binding thing. You were considered married at that point, even though you were only engaged although the real marriage took place later. Now, there are two things that were different about this engagement in a a normal marriage. Number one is that the couple lived apart. In fact, usually the husband lived in another city and he was preparing the house for the occasion. The other thing is that they had not come together sexually. In fact, that period of time was supposed to be a testing period to make sure that there was no infidelity on her part, to make sure she wasn't pregnant. Now, I don't know how you tested the fidelity of the husband. But she was not to have a child, and so they were, they were engaged, but it, it, was, it was almost considered like marriage. My Bible study has this note. I have a Bible study Bible that has this note. It says that a Jewish engagement was a binding agreement that could only be broken by divorce. They had to legally separate the thing. So he hears the word that she's pregnant. They haven't even been in the same city. They have not been together. He decides to divorce her, but he's going to do it in a respectful way, a godly way, a, a way that doesn't add extra shame to her situation. He's going to just do it secretly. Well, let's just go ahead and break this off. And, and then an angel appears. We continue reading the story in verse 20. After he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to note again, the the wording from the angels, I don't want you to, don't be afraid. You know, I don't want you to be afraid, Joseph. 
to take Mary as your wife. There are lots of reasons why he could have been afraid to do it. It could have been the shame involved in the situation in his case. Perhaps that's what it was. We don't know. Uh, at the very least, the idea that's about to be presented would be something he should be scared of because he's being told that this baby is from the Holy Spirit and he's got to raise this child and it's like, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know, but the angel says, don't, don't be afraid to take her. Verse 21, she'll give birth to a son. You're to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God is with us. So within the context of this story, and I don't know what all the angels said to Joseph or what Matthew added here, but we find the name of this baby, Emmanuel, God with us, right in the midst of a situation where there was fear. And the angel quoted from Isaiah the prophet from the Old Testament. Again, my takeaway is that we don't have to be afraid if God is with us. So let's look at the Old Testament story from which this prophecy came. It was a prophecy that came 700 plus years before Jesus was born, which I think is remarkable. I hope that you appreciate the value of prophecies in terms of affirming that the Bible is the word of God. You just can't, you just can't do that. You can't make these things up. You can't make a prophecy as, uh, can, about a lot of things, and they would come true 700 years later, but such is the case here. Our story, though, actually begins 200 years before the prophet Isaiah made the prophecy. Because 200 years before that happened, it's about 930 years B.C., there was a civil war of sorts that took place between the 12 family lines of Israel. They were called the 12 tribes of Israel, as many of you know, a man named Israel had 12 sons, and, and they had children, and eventually they became a large nation, 12 family lines. But 930 years or so before Jesus was born, there was a separation that took place. Ten of them gathered together and maintained the name Israel. The other two, Benjamin and Judah, separated and took on the name Judah. Now, the other two, by the way, in our story were right. And these ten nations that all joined together, Israel, ended up going astray and worshiping other gods. Judah did as well, but centuries later, they, they maintained purity a lot longer. Well, 200 years passes. Isaiah comes on the scene. There's a king over Judah. He's over just these two nations. He is not a very godly king. He's one of the kings that worshiped other gods. But God intervened despite his rebellion. This king heard that the nation of Israel was forming an alliance with another nation, the nation of Aram. Now, Israel was bigger already. They've got their 10 family lines versus the two. Israel was making an alliance with Aram, and they were coming to attack King Ahaz over here on Judah. Now, I don't know what would happen to you if you heard that news but it scared Ahaz to death. We pick up the story here in Isaiah chapter 7 where we read the heart of Ahaz and the hearts of his people trembled like trees of a forest shaking in the wind. I've been scared before. Never like that. 
I don't know, if any of you have ever been scared like that? You were just, it's, it's just their hearts of, of Ahaz and the people. This was, their intention was to wipe out Judah once and for all. I mean, these two nations, Judah and Israel, had skirmishes for hundreds of years, but this was it. An alliance was formed. Ahaz did not have a chance. He was going to die and all his people. So it says he trembled. All the people trembled like the trees of the forest shaking in the wind. But God had something else in mind. We read in verse 3, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out with your son Shirshabub to meet Ahaz at the end of the conduit of the upper pool by the road to the fuller's field. Say to him, Calm down and be quiet. Don't be afraid or cowardly because of these smoldering stubs of firebrands. That's quite an, a, a rebuke. Stop being such a coward. Such, stop being such a baby. Stop being so afraid because of these two kings over here. They're described here as these smoldering stubs of firebrands. It's like when you do a fire, you know, and, you, and the fire's basically dead, but you see some smoke coming from a few of the sticks that didn't completely burn. You know, they're almost burned completely out. That's how they're being described here, these two leaders. This is Isaiah the prophet, one of the greatest prophets who ever lived. He's telling the king, don't worry about this. I got this. You don't have to be afraid. See, Ahaz, what he wanted to do was make an alliance of his own with Assyria, which was a huge kingdom. And God specifically told him through Isaiah, don't do that. It's the worst thing you can do. Trust me. Now, that's really the issue here. When we're faced with situations that cause our heart to shake, are we going to trust him or not? A couple verses later in verse 7 or verse 9 of chapter 7, we read where Isaiah said, if you do not stand firm in your faith, then you'll not stand at all. Now, there's a lot of truth to that. This is a message all of us should think about. If we do not learn how we can stand firm in faith when the, the foundation is gone, when things look horrible, if we cannot learn to do that, we won't stand at all. James said a similar thing in the New Testament. He said, if you lack wisdom about things, you come to me, but don't doubt. Ask in faith, because otherwise you're going to be like a, bur- a bo- boat tossed by the waves of the sea, going this way and that. And I've been there. I, I know what that's like. The circumstances of life toss me every direction. I'm being battered by everything. Because I, I don't have faith. I don't have a, a mooring. I don't, I don't trust. And, and that's what Isaiah was saying. You better stand firm in faith because otherwise you're not going to stand at all. And then God did something wonderful for this Ahaz. Again, he was not, he's not a, one of the better kings. But God did something wonderful for him. He said, listen, if you doubt what I'm saying here, I want you to ask for a sign whatever you ask for, so I can prove it to you. Now, that was a, a wonderful thing. In verse 10, we read, Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, and it was through Isaiah, Ask for a sign from the Lord your God, from the depths of Sheol to the heights of heaven. Sheol was the place of the dead. They believed that the dead actually abided in the lower part of the earth. And so Isaiah, through, or the Lord through Isaiah, is saying, You ask me for a sign. You ask me for proof here. Whether it's, it's below the earth or all the way up to the heavens, whatever it is. I mean, it was another way of saying you can ask me for literally anything at all. If you want proof that I'm going to take care of this problem for you. 
Now you would think he'd jump at it. But verse 12 says, but Ahaz replied, I will not ask, I will not test the Lord. Isaiah said, listen, house of David, which was another way of calling Judah and Benjamin. Listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? He's saying, in essence, God told you to do it. You ask him. Now, Ahaz had a point here in saying, I, don't, I won't test the Lord. There's a, there's a verse about that in the Old Testament. Don't test the Lord your God. Jesus quoted it when he was tempted. It says, do not test the Lord your God. But there are two times in the Bible that I'm aware of where God said, this time it's okay. This time, in fact, I want you to do it. This is one of the two. The other one's the one in Malachi when it talks about tithing. Give your tithe. Test me in this. See if I won't pour out the floodgates of heaven to take care of you. Will you trust me for that? Well, God told him. God told him, I want you to ask for a sign. He could ask for the sun to turn black. He could ask for his dead mother to come back to life. He could ask that he'd live to be 100. He could ask for riches beyond compare. There was nothing the guy could have asked for that God would have said no to. And Ahaz very piously says, I won't test the Lord my God. Isaiah said, you are testing him. I mean, you're someone who's tested men, and now you're testing me. You're trying the patience of God with your answer. He was really rebelling against God here, and I'll tell you why. He had already decided he was going to make an agreement with Assyria. He already decided what he was going to do. I don't need God interrupting my plans. I've already got this thing figured out. I'm not interested in you. Well, a scholar by the name of Martin writes, Ahaz, by rejecting the offer of a sign from God's messenger, was it in effect rejecting the one who had sent the prophet? By not listening to what I'm saying, you're not listening to God. That's the point that Isaiah was making. But God did something anyway. He decided to give Ahaz a sign that he didn't ask for. And that's where we come to our prophecy about this Emmanuel, which really is the heart of the whole thing. Ahaz did not need to be afraid because Emmanuel, because God is with us. But God gave him a sign that God was going to be with him. And the sign is found in verse 14. Isaiah said, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. So there it is. But let's keep reading. By the time he learns to reject what is bad and choose what is good, he will be eating butter and honey. For before the boy knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. What? What is he talking about here? Well, understand something about biblical prophecy. Most prophecies in the Bible have more than one fulfillment. Some have as many as three. God's brilliant in that way. He provided Ahaz with a prophecy to confirm his word that pointed to a greater prophecy that was going to be fulfilled in the future. Now, let me mention that in the Old Testament, the word here for virgin, when it says a virgin will conceive is the word for an adult female capable of having children, a maiden. It doesn't always mean virgin in the sense of not having sex. We use it in, in that sense in our vocabulary today. We talk about someone being a virgin. 
In the Old Testament, though, this was a word that could be translated maiden or someone who's going to have a child. And so you wonder, what was the prophecy about for Ahaz? Ahaz? Were there two immaculate conceptions? No. I think what Isaiah was saying is in the time it takes for a woman who's a virgin now to get married, have a child, and that child be able to eat solid food and know the difference between right and wrong. In other words, in a few years, you'll see. These two countries you're afraid of, they're going to be gone, which is exactly what happened. The Assyrians came in. It was a sign that in the short period of time that a woman who's a virgin, many feel, by the way, that the virgin in this prophecy was Isaiah's new wife, that his wife maybe had died. He'd married this woman who at the time of the prophecy was a virgin. She conceived, had a child. By the time the child was old enough, those two nations were gone. It was a sign based on Isaiah's own household. There was an immediate, my point is, an immediate fulfillment of the prophecy related to this guy named Ahaz, and the simplicity of the message was you got three years, four years, and you'll see. You'll see it's going to happen because of this baby that's going to be born who represents God he is with us. But we move fast forward to the New Testament and the virgin takes on the name that we think of it, the idea this baby is found within this woman. She'd never been with a man before and Joseph wants to divorce her. And God says, don't divorce her because this, this is not man-made. The child within her is of the Holy Spirit. She's, well, this is what was prophesied. This is what Isaiah the prophet was talking about. This is how you'll know. You want a sign of who the Messiah is, the one who's been foretold for thousands of years in the Old Testament? You want, a, you want proof that this guy is the Messiah? Here's what the proof will be. A virgin will conceive. And she'll give birth to a child. And they'll call him Emmanuel. It means God with us. And Jesus, of course, was that. In no symbolic sense, in the very real sense, the, any Emmanuel in the Old Testament was in a symbolic sense, representing the presence of God in the midst of a fearful situation. In the New Testament, we know God with us. Emmanuel means he's with us in person. God in the flesh, living among us. That's why the incarnation was essential. That child had to have an earthly mother and a heavenly father in order to die for our sin. He had to be a man to die. He had to be God to be sinless. It was all part of God's plan. And Isaiah pointed to it. It was discreetly done in the Old Testament, and it had a fulfillment then, but the greatest fulfillment was in Jesus. But what do we do with this? Well, before Jesus returned to heaven, when he was with his disciples just before the cross, he mentioned that he was going to be leaving them and they were distressed by it. He told them he was going to be dying, but then also he was returning home. And in their distress and in their fear, he said, you don't have to worry. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'll be with you. He said, I'm going to send a helper, the Holy Spirit. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You'll always have him with you. In that way, I'll always be with you. The spirit of Jesus Christ lives in his believers, those who put their trust in Christ. He will never leave us. He is always with us, God with us, Emmanuel. And I love who he is. 
Because after Isaiah talked about this baby that was going to be born, two chapters later, he adds a description of this baby. And he says that this particular baby, in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, he says, a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be named, this child that's going to be born in the future, will be named Wonderful Counselor, that's what he wants to be to us. Mighty God, one who's able in might and strength to help us. Eternal Father, he wants to be a father to us. And the Prince of Peace. Now, if anyone wonders whether the deity of Christ was referred to in the Old Testament, how on earth could a baby be born in the future who would have these names? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. You don't call a baby God unless he's, well, God. And he's our eternal father. He's our prince of peace. Right here of Hebrews talked about the presence of Christ in our lives. He said in Hebrews 13, 5, for he himself has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, we boldly say, therefore, we boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? It ties together everything I'm talking about here. Because he will not leave us or forsake us, we do not need to be afraid. In fact, we can be bold. The Lord is our helper. We make a choice. Because of that, I will not be afraid. What can anybody do to us? If he is with us, if God is for us, who can be against us? He is with us. And so I want to encourage you, if there are areas in your life where you're afraid or you're not trusting in him, Areas where you need to trust. And maybe, maybe the prayer for some of you is to say, God, I, I just am afraid. I think, by the way, personally, I've, I've lived more with fear than most. And sometimes I've been like the shaky leaf a little bit, not quite as bad as Ahaz, I don't think. And there are other times where in the midst of it, I was bold and confident because I knew God was with me. But I think sometimes we just need to ask God to help us with this. Like, I am afraid. I admit I'm afraid You say, you're with me, I need to know you're with me. I need to know you're my helper. I need to know that I don't have to be afraid because of it, because you are Emmanuel. We can turn to him, we can call to him. We don't have to be afraid because our God is with us. Now, some of you today, and I mention this almost every week, but you don't know where you stand with God. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God yet through faith in Christ. After the service, there'll be some people up here just standing there. They're they're there to pray with you, but they'll also talk with you. And they can explain how to begin a relationship with God through faith in Christ. Or we have a little booklet we can offer at the Welcome Center out there, just in the center of the lobby. Just say, I want the little booklet. It explains just how we get right with God and how we can have Christ within us. Emmanuel, let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you that we're not alone. Thank you for the promise you'll never leave us and you'll never reject us, never forsake us, Lord. I think how Ahaz, even in the midst of his rebellion against you, you still were kind and gracious. You were still willing to do good and bless. You made your presence available. And Lord, we want to learn to trust in you so that we will not be afraid. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.